Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Good deal. Well, super glad you guys are here. We are in part three of three of a series called Joining God in the Renewal of All Things. That's the mission statement for our church. And um, hopefully, uh, remember that we're reflecting on one central image for each of these three weeks. And these, these three images have been kind of noodling around in my head, stuck in my head uh, for months now, and now I'm just trying to give you my problem. I want them noodling around in your head. I want them stuck in your head. That's the stated goal uh, for this series. And um, uh, the first image was a very large sailboat. Uh, the second image was a forest. And if you missed either of those, I encourage you to get them on the podcast. I think they're both significant. Um, and today, very different, it's a hurricane. So, um, the hurricane thing is really about the culture that we find ourselves in. Uh, I've said this over and over, I know, but we're living in truly exceptional times. Uh, what we've experienced over the last few years, what we are continuing to experience, and I think will for a while moving forward, um, is not normal. <laughs> Uh, I don't have enough historical perspective to really say this, but I think the amount of change we have experienced um, in our broader society over the last several years is completely unprecedented at any point in history. Just massive cultural shifts are occurring all around us. Uh, and I, I don't think it's anything we've ever seen before. I really, I really don't. That might, that might be overstatement, but the best I can tell, I think that we've experienced more change than at any other point in history. Um, and I don't know this for sure either, but I genuinely expect um, that the window that we're living in now, these few years or however long it may continue, I don't know, I think it will be studied for a long time. Um, I think hundreds of years from now, um, people will look back in awe at the amount of change that we have encountered, um, the, the social, the cultural uprising that we're living in. It's just a lot of change. And change is hard. And change is destabilizing. You know, just everything's moving and shaking, and that's, that's, a, that's a tough space uh, to be in. Even if you like change, and I do, I re- I, to my core, I love change. Um, and yet, it's still disorienting. Um, That does not mean that we cannot be happy in this moment or thrive in this moment. Many of you are, many of us are. I feel great, frankly. Um, I'm not even saying that the change is bad. I mean, there are things about things that are happening, the shifts that we've seen that we can point to and go, well, that's clearly a bad thing. And yet, all the way down to my toes, I mean, down to my core, I believe with my whole heart um, that God is using all of this madness and chaos and change, um, as, as disorienting as it is, I believe that God is using it and he has remarkable plans to bring renewal um, and healing to so many people. Like the grand sweep of it, I think, is a work of God. Um, so even still, 
It doesn't change the fact that it's destabilizing, it's disorienting. It's kind of hard to know up from down, okay? So in some sense, it's like a, it's like a storm. We've been living in a, a storm, and it's not a small one. Like, again, I don't know if I overstated it. I don't think I did. It's not a small one. It's a really, really big one. It's like a hurricane, like real big. So um, anyway, these winds of change we're talking about, they're blowing. But the winds of change are blowing in different directions, and they're colliding with one another. Okay, that's, that's really how storms occur. Uh, winds of change, uh, or the winds blow into one another, they react to one another, and as they react to one another, it creates a, a swirl or a churn. Okay, so um, we've, we've discussed this so much in the last year, I know. Um, many of you probably cannot stomach another big rant from me about societal shifts. So here's a small one. How about that? Uh, <laughs> I think we can put it in, in one fairly simple idea. For a long time, and to, to a real degree, not in an absolute sense, but for a long time in our society, we've had a, a pretty consistent, a, a pretty broadly, generally accepted framework for how we're expected to live our lives. Not a total consensus, but a, a generalized understanding within our society that goes, okay, here's how we should live our lives these are the things we should care about. These are our values, our priorities. These are the cultural norms that should dictate our coming and our going. Um, a general sense of agreement of what's most important, how things ought to be lived. Now, I don't want to overstate that. Lots of people have always had lots of different perspectives and ideas out there, for sure. It's never been universal. I don't mean to imply that. But for a long time, there has been a, just a dominant way of seeing things, okay? a worldview. But that, in recent years, has collapsed. There is no longer a single dominant worldview. That's a major, major shift. I cannot overstate it. So, in the aftermath of that collapse, which we're in, what's happening is different worldviews, and there are lots of them, different worldviews, different ways of seeing life, approaching life, are now vying for the position of cultural dominance, because no one's in that role. So, different worldviews are, are colliding. Um, and so, in a, a very real way, we have lots of people saying, it, with a lot of urgency, ah, you should live your life this way. You should care about these things. You should value these things. This is what should control your life. And then we've got someone else saying, no, 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 no. You should do it this way. You should care about these things. This should control your life. This should be your worldview. And then another, and another, and another saying, no, this way, no, that way. No, this way, no, that way. Different ways of explaining life, values, priorities. They're slamming into one another. And like I said, that creates a storm. Um, that's actually how tornadoes are formed. I'm nothing approaching a meteorologist, uh, but that's kind of what happens. I don't really understand it, but generally speaking, cold air masses collide with warm air ma masses, and then if they, if they do it in just the right sort of conditions, then those masses, as they slam into one another, will start to swirl. And I think that's what we're seeing culturally, different sides reacting to one another, and then the reactions fuel more intense reactions, and it intensifies. We become more reactive. Things start churning faster and faster. The storm gets worse and worse, right? Still with me? Okay. Erica is. <laughs> All right. Let's see. I'll, I'll try to do better. Um, that brings me to our school lesson for the day. Um, as a reminder... Uh, I am a very compassionate man, and I feel sorry for our students who are in summer 
and they miss school a great deal, and they want to learn, and they have a thirst for knowledge, and so they're missing their subjects, and so for each of these three sermons, I have had a little school lesson based on a school subject in order to teach our children, and here's the thing. I've done this twice now. I have not had a single student come and thank me. I can't, like, what is going on? Like, kids these days, <laughs> man yells at cloud. All right, I'm, uh, the whole thing's silly, I know. Okay, uh, so far uh, we've talked uh, about grammar. We had a little grammar lesson, and then last week some biology, some botany, um, dendrology, the study of plants, that was, or uh, study of trees particularly, that was last week. This week, physics. Yeah. <laughs> All right, physics. So uh, let's say you're at Dollywood, and it's a great day at Dollywood. Everything's wonderful. The weather is perfect. It's nice and cool. The lines are short. It's a miracle. You just saw Dolly and gave her a high five. You got a belly full of funnel cake. Everybody's happy. Lightning rod's actually open. It's a perfect day at Dollywood. It's great. And then you decide uh, to ride the swings. You guys know the swings where you got little chairs on, on chains. And then they, it's okay. It's not, it's not, it's not going to get gross. Um, <laughs> you decide to ride the swings. They take you up in the air. They start to spin you around. Now, as you spin, what happens to the chairs? Do they stay straight down or do they, they flare out? And the faster you go the further out they flare. Okay, now, who can tell me, class, what kind of force is making that happen? Good job, that's right. I mean, I think you said, I think that was centrifugal. Centrifugal force. So if you don't know, centrifugal force, when things are spinning, it's the force that pushes them outward. The very thing that makes the chairs on the swings extend out. That's centrifugal force. When you uh, wash your clothes and you open the washing machine and they've just finished the spin cycle and the clothes are plastered to the outside edge of the tub. Why is that? Because the spin cycle basically turns your washing machine into what's called a centrifuge. Centrifuge is something that spins something really, really fast and it pushes everything outward. That's why they're plastered. That's why it sucks all the, all the uh, water out of it or at least most of the water out of it. Um, that's centrifugal force. Um, when I was in the fifth grade, I went to space camp in Huntsville, Alabama. Anybody been there? Some of you. It's a pretty cool place, especially for the nerds. Um, it was a really cool spot and I, I went there in the fifth grade and I was an idiot um, those are not, I'm not saying I was an, an idiot because I was a fifth grader. I was a fifth grader, comma, and I was an idiot. Um, <laughs> the show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Do you guys remember that? Nothing has done more to harm my self-esteem. Every time it's like, well, no, it, and it's not even close. So I'm not saying fifth graders are idiots. Anyway, I was an idiot, and uh, they have a ride there called the Centrifuge. Spins you around like crazy, creates three Gs of force that push you outward so you, your body weighs three times its normal weight because of centrifugal force alone. That's the lesson that they're teaching. And again, I was an idiot, so I was like, I'm going to do this while we're doing this. <laughs> and I'm a little shaken now. I was real shaken then, and I was sick for hours. It was an awful thing because I got in the centrifuge. Uh, one more example. Um, uh, think of somebody throwing a discus, right? The fast, why do they spin? before they sling it, because the faster they spin, the further they can sling 
the discus, all of this centrifugal force. You got it. When things spin, they get slung out. The faster they spin, the further things are slung. That's what I see happening in our sort of cultural discourse. That, that ever-intensifying swirl is fueling one of a, a real buzzword for today that you've, you've heard all over the place, polarization. Um, the faster things in our society, the ideologies, the more they swirl, the more far-fetched the ideas become, the further apart the sides get, therefore more and more polarization. All right, physics lesson not over. How does anybody know the opposite? This one's tougher than the last question. Anybody know the opposite of centrifugal force? Yeah, a handful of you. Centripetal force. That is the force that in a swirl brings things closer to the center. That's, that's, very, that's very different. Um, that's how a tornado works. Okay, you know how a tornado, it sucks things in before it spits them out. Hurricanes actually do the same thing, but to a different sort of scale and degree. Um, centripetal force is what draws things into the center when things are swirling. Centrifugal force is what spits them out. Um, quick story about that. We have, uh, or, or years ago, we had uh, like an above ground pool, like one of the round ones. And we had like 20 something people over at our house. I don't even remember why. And uh, we were having a lot of fun, and somebody said, let's turn the pool into like a whirlpool, and we'll get the water all spinning in one direction. And I remember thinking, that sounds really boring, and it's not going to work, but okay. And I played along, because I was a nice guy. Um, and then it was not boring, and it did work. It was awesome. <laughs> I could not believe, as people just started, it started with just people walking in a circle and sort of doing this. And it wasn't long at all before the water was really churning faster than I ever thought was possible when we started this thing. So much so that a genuine whirlpool was created. You could see the center of the water in the middle of the pool was going down. You could see it, and the, the, it, was, it was getting higher at the edges. It was pouring out over the edges of the pool. It was going so fast, you couldn't swim against the current. I tried. Not for long, because it was exhausting. I couldn't even hold on to the side. Sharon, who was outside of the pool, because why would she participate in such nonsense? She was trying to talk to me, and I was going to hold on. And I'm like this. I literally couldn't hold on. We had to have that conversation in like little three-word chunks. And be like, oh, what about what about Like, that's how we did it, because I couldn't even hold on. And while this was happening, uh, so that would be centrifugal force pushing and causing the waves to even spill over the sides. And the, while this was happening, though, um, all the little kids and their floaties and puddle jumpers and all the toys that we were avoiding because we were doing this, they all just went right to the middle. And so what was pulling them to the middle was centripetal force. And it was amazing. The next morning, I got up. The water was still spinning. And, and the toys and the kids were still in the middle. I'm just kidding. We let the, we, the kids are out. But the toys were all still in the middle. I couldn't believe the power of it. So we have centrifugal force pushing the water to the edge and over the edge. And we have centripetal force pulling children and toys to the center. Okay, now physics lesson's over. Uh, cultural commentary over. 
What's my point in all of this? I do have one. All right, so let's hold on to those ideas. Now let's think hurricanes. At the center of a hurricane, and a tornado actually, there's, and you know this, there's what's called an eye, the very center. And in the eye of a hurricane, there is a shocking and remarkable calm. Amazingly, like you see pictured, the sun will often shine in the eye of a hurricane. And the winds, there are winds, this is amazing to me though, the winds are gentle and they're not swirling incredibly. I think this is really remarkable um, and odd. The wind blows gently downward from above. It's not hard for me to spiritualize that one, but I'll spare you. Um, the storm and all its chaos raging all around, but in the eye, there's peace and calm. Um, when things start to swirl in our society as they absolutely are and have been for quite some time, um, we're going to be affected, all of us. Like we just, we're in the soup like everybody else. Uh, we can't just float above it all, Christian or not. The storms hit us too, and we're going to be affected by it. The difference though, at least potentially the difference, is in how we allow the storms to affect us. Will they affect us with centrifugal force, where we join the chaos and we join the masses, where we start listening to and perpetuating more and more far-fetched, far-flung ideas and ideologies, where we become more and more polarized, more and more divisive, more and more combative, Will we be like the masses that are, infected, that are affected by centrifugal force where we essentially lose our heads? See, a lot of people just losing their heads. If you've been here long, you know exactly where I'm going. I, I've read these verses several times. I'm going to read them to you again. No apologies for Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teaching to teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It's never been easier to gather a great number of teachers around you to tell you what you want to hear. Okay? So this is, and they're describing a storm. Okay? Verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Okay? Verse 5, but you keep your head in all situations. They're describing people losing their heads because of the change. He goes, but you, you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Of, of your ministry centrifugal force that slings you further and further outward, going faster and faster, more and more far-fetched ideas, that's losing our heads. And we look around, it's happening everywhere. So there's that. Or on the other hand, we can allow centripetal force instead to draw us to the center, to draw us deeper and deeper to our core, to the anchor of who we are as the people of God, to draw us into the eye of the storm where it is oddly calm and quiet and peaceful. Where as people increasingly around us are losing their heads, we can be stubbornly and resolutely reasonable and kind 
and reasonable and kind. And as the people around us become less reasonable and less kind, we can dig in all the more to our very core, to the way of Jesus, and be more reasonable and more kind. And be ourselves the eye. The eye of the storm where there is, again, an unmistakable calm and peace, a gentle wind from above, rather than being thrown into more and more far-fetched ideas. This reminds me of another thing Paul wrote, Timothy. First uh, Timothy 4, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Anchor, anchor in who we are. Become more and more deeply anchored to the most fundamental concepts, the most central elements of our faith. The love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the hope in the midst of storms. This is what marks us above all else. Those things move to the forefront when centripetal force pulls you to the eye of the storm. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. We actually read this one a couple of weeks ago. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. What an incredible statement of what it means to be anchored in who we are as the people of God. We speak the truth in love, and here we go, growing in every way more and more like Jesus. The simple, fundamental core of what it is to be a child of God, to walk with Jesus and love our neighbor. That's what he's saying. We'll walk with Jesus and love our neighbor, stay out of the swirl, and become anchored. The mercy of God, the kindness, the forgiveness of God, those become the banners that we wave. The love of God and the kindness of God and the reasonableness of knowing Him, those become the issues we fight for. The fruit of the Spirit, that's what we fight for. We fight for love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, the core of what it is to be a Christ follower, our irreducible minimum. And here's the thing about all of that. When we become that, while the world is this, it's pretty irresistible. To be the, the source of calm and reasonableness and love and simple beauty is irresistible to a watching world. As you know, our, our church is growing somewhat. Um, it's pretty cool. God has provided more space for us to grow down the street. Um, but I just want to be clear about this. That's not because our church is now cooler than it's ever been or it's more culturally attuned than it has ever been. It's not because of slicker graphics or the world's coolest bands. I think we have cool bands, but that's not what I'm saying. Um, uh, for years and years, this, this went on for decades, the church, this really happened throughout the world, but especially in the West, started trying really, really hard to just to keep up with cultural culture and to keep up with the shifts that happen. And, and, and if this is what's happening in culture, then this is what we're going to do too. The church, we're going to be cool, we're going to be trendy, we're going to be relevant. All those things matter, and, and relevance matters, okay. I, I'm not saying that's all bad, it, it's not. Um, but that became this dominant thing. And if that works, okay, if the idea of, hey, we're going to stay culturally relevant, relevant um, and cool and trendy, if that works, and that's a big if in my mind, but if it does, it's only possible when there is a dominant cultural narrative to follow. 
As we said earlier, we don't have one of those anymore. So if we're going to choose the cool and trendy path, well, which one? It's splintered in a million directions. There is no dominant cultural narrative. It just, it, it doesn't work. If that works, it doesn't work now. But here's the thing. Talk about being relevant. <laughs> Love and kindness and mercy and forgiveness and generosity and hope. Things like that are, I made this up, but they're omni-relevant. They're never not relevant. They're always needed. They're always attractive. They're always true. They're always relevant. And if, while everyone else is losing their heads, we keep ours, if, with God's help, we have centripetal force moving us to our core rather than centrifugal force slinging us further and further away from the basic tenets of our faith, which again, walk with Jesus, love your neighbor, walk with Jesus, love your neighbor. If we can do that, then we become the eye of the storm. The one place of calm. And while everyone else is panicked or outraged or, or peddling fear or confusion, we become the place of peace and love and rest from all the chaos. And if that's the case, listen, we'll, we'll need all the space that we have next door at the new place and a whole lot more. There is nothing more relevant than shelter in a storm. There's nothing more relevant than that. So, hopefully you know what I'm talking about as far as just the chaos, the upheaval, the sort of sense of outrage and frustration, the angst that's increasingly inherent to, to our cultural narrative, all of that stuff. So the storm's raging, man. It's swirling. And here's the thing. The election hasn't even cranked up yet. That's when the hurricane becomes a cat five. Right? And talk about people losing their heads. People are just running around. What happens to us? It gets insane. And it's coming. It's coming every four years. I keep praying that it won't come. It just keeps coming every time. Every four years, here we are again. And people absolutely lose their minds. And the narratives get even worse. And the, everything gets cranked up and elevated. And the storm churns even faster and faster. And the anger and the fury goes up right along with it. Guys, when the storm kicks up, the value of that place of calm and reasonableness goes up right along with it. Let me tell you something. We're going to talk a lot about the election. A lot. We're talking a lot about politics. A lot. Who's nervous? I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, and I'm not going to talk about the political issues. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I care about is that we as God's people anchor in the love of God and the kindness and reasonableness of our Lord in the midst of an absolutely chaotic storm that we all know is coming. That we're going to talk about. Talk about how desperately, we can all see it coming, how desperately is this town and beyond going to need it? There's this thing that I kind of want to do. I'm not going to do it because it's basically a social experiment and I shouldn't spend the church's money on a social experiment. But when we move, obviously we're going to find some way to like advertise and let people know, hey, we moved and you're welcomed. And, you know. So I think it would be really cool and interesting, again, social experiment to uh, put a mailer in everybody's mailbox all in Blount County and, and for it to just say, 
Vineyard Church Maribel, we're not mad. And an address, and that's it. I think it would work. I think it would work. People would be like, no, not possible. No, really, we're not, we're not mad. No way. I think people would come flooding in. I, I think it's a real possibility. Like, there, there is an exception to all the bitterness and the chaos and the nonsense. Are you kidding me? What could be more attractive, especially in the coming year, guys? Especially in the coming year. I think the additional space kind of comes just in time. I'll tell you a, a, a quick story. Uh, I was in a, a, a national... Uh, a board meeting for Vineyard USA. And um, a guy named Adam Russell was in there. Many of you or some of you know Adam as a leader in the vineyard. And he had a word, and I really think it was a prophetic word. And he said, you know, historically, vineyard churches have been known for the gifts of the Spirit. And, and that's true. The vineyard churches were born out of a renewal, a time of revival, where there were lots of healings and miracles and signs and wonders, the miraculous, all right, the gifts of the Spirit, which we believe in all that stuff, love all that stuff. And he says, historically, the vineyard has been known for the gifts of the Spirit. He said, but moving forward, the vineyard will be known for the fruit of the Spirit. And I just started to bawl. And I thought, how beautiful, timely, powerful that would be. And, and here's the thing. I, I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit, and they're all gifts. That's, what, that's why the Bible calls on that. They're gifts. They're beautiful and good. So don't over-theologize or, or what I'm about to say. But here's what I think. I think the reason why we might see even more of the fruit of the Spirit is because it might be even more powerful than the gifts of the Spirit, particularly in this context. Here's what I mean. We could, we could prophesy. We might even raise the dead, and it might make the news. But if we became a place of reasonableness and kindness and love in the midst of this cultural climate, we might turn everything upside down. It might be even more powerful than raising the dead or healing the sick or whatever it may be. I am so hopeful for what lies ahead for our church because I think God has strategically positioned us to be the eye of the storm. Not just our church and the gathering on Sunday, but in each of you as you scatter throughout East Tennessee, being that place of calm and reasonableness and love and peace and hope. All right, the band's going to come on up. We're going to um, have a little bit more time to worship here. I just want to read you a quote. Um, this is from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. If that name sounds familiar, it's probably because she's brilliant. She's the one who came up with the five stages of grief, so that, that might ring a bell. She said this, there are only two emotions, love and fear. That's it. All positive emotions come from love, all negative emotions from fear. From love flows happiness, contentment, peace, and joy. From fear comes anger, hate, anxiety, and guilt. It's true that there are only two primary emotions, love and fear. But it's more accurate to say that there is only love or fear, for we cannot feel these two emotions together at exactly the same time. They're opposites. If we're in fear, we are not in a place of love. When we're in a place of love, we cannot be in a place of fear. Guys, at the very core, this is, this is all there is. There's love and there's fear. And, you know, historically, uh, we talked about this a lot over in the life of our church. Like, we're the love greater than fear church. That's straight from 1 John chapter 4. 
uh, we'll say it in our prayer in just a moment, where perfect love actually drives out fear. It's, that's all there is, guys. There's love and there's fear. And I don't want to be critical, but guys, I think we could probably survey most of us what we know of the church, and there's been plenty of times and plenty of places where the church has decided to peddle fear, to use the power of fear to manipulate, to control, to extort even. I wish so much that church history had none of that. Fortunately, it does. But love is greater than fear. Look, you could, fear is very powerful. You can exert a lot of control. You can do a lot of things with fear. It's very powerful. But love is actually greater than fear. And if you're saying, what's this church about? And what's it going to be about when we move? And how are things going to shift? I'm just telling you right now, we are going to anchor deeper than ever before in this reality. Love. It's greater than fear, and that's all there is. And God is love. We're talking about getting to the very core, the irreducible minimum, the place where there is calm. The place where there is calm in the midst of the chaos is God is love. God is love. God is love. And we are his children. And they'll know that we are his children by our love. And it is water to the thirsty souls all around us. So let's take uh, a moment to pray. Actually, I want to read you one more thing real quickly. 1 Corinthians 16. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. All right. Let's pray. King Jesus, we're yours. Glad to be yours. We want to follow you in everything, and especially in this. And as we said, we are for sure... We're affected by the storm. We don't get to float above it. It hits us too. We live here. But Lord, with your help, with your help, and this, we really have to rely on you. That's why we're going to sing the song that we're about to sing because we, we so need your help in doing this. But with your help, we can be affected with some triple force. The storm can send us to our core and not to our, the lunatic fringe. If we are to be radical, may we be radical in love and kindness and forgiveness and hope and mercy and reasonableness and calm. May it be true of us. And as we look ahead and see inevitably the storm's about to intensify, may we be all the more determined to anchor in love that's greater than fear. Lord, if we have been caught up by centrifugal force, sort of pushed out into the angry and the chaotic mess. Lord, would you convict us right now? May we repent right now. Say, God, bring us to our absolute core. You are love, and they will know that we are yours by our love. Thank you, Jesus.